could you use some good news, some good news in the dark times that we find ourselves in our country and in our world? In these weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to begin a series in 1 Corinthians 15 to wrap up our study in 1 Corinthians. And really what Paul wants to give us in this chapter is some good news, some hope that we can hang on to. And that's the season really that leads up to Easter of a dark time of the cross, the death, and the burial of Jesus. And then on Easter, there's resurrection. And so Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 wants to remind us that the ultimate end is resurrection, that the worst things are never the last things, that there's always hope for the future. And so if you find yourself a little discouraged today, perhaps a little anxious, perhaps a little uh, just down and depressed, We all need some good news, some hope that things will get better. And the ultimate hope is in the resurrection of Jesus. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's actually the third longest chapter in the New Testament. And so Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, had been writing about divisions and about how the body is to relate to one another. And he goes through for the first 14 chapters and he describes the church and describes the relationship that we have with Jesus as our Lord. And here in chapter 15, he ends on a very positive note. And it's a completion of his response to the Corinthians question about spiritual gift and and about the abuses in worship in chapters 12, 13, and 14. And so Paul's last major concern in the epistle, which may be the problem that Paul had been itching to get to from the very beginning of the letter, namely the Corinthians' confusion over the resurrection. These poor Corinthians were confused about a whole lot of things. They were confused about spiritual gifts. They were confused about what it means to follow Paul and Apollos and Cephas and caused divisions. They were confused over the Lord's Supper. They were confused over very many things. And they had written to Paul asking about some of these things. And so Paul here in 1 Corinthians 15 addresses, which may be the biggest issue that they were confused over, which was the resurrection of Jesus. So in your Bibles, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 1, Paul writes this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I receive, I pass on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. Paul begins chapter 15 by reminding the Corinthians of the gospel that he had preached to them and on which they had taken their stand. Gospel means 
good news. We often celebrate at Christmas time the good news that the angels had told the shepherds that Jesus was born. But the good news is really the gospel of Jesus. And the good news is what we need to hear today. And so the gospel as good news speaks into our world and speaks into our situations and speaks into our anxiety and our frustration and our fear and our isolation from social distancing and all the things that we experience now. The gospel is good news for all people in all places at all times. This term was important to Paul in Corinthians. There are many verses where he talks about the gospel and he preaching the gospel and that the gospel is what he was called to preach. And so this term is very important in Corinthians and Paul comes back to this in chapter 15. He reminds the Corinthians that it is the gospel that I preached to you in verse 1, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. And he reminds the Corinthians, and he reminds us as well, it's not enough just to hear it, but we receive it. What does receive mean? Receive means we take it in, we obey it, we listen to it, we do what it says, we take it in and we have uh, belief and we have faith and we have trust. And so it's more than just the hearing, but it is also the receiving. And he tells the Corinthians, this is where you have taken your stand. There are a lot of things in life that we can take our stands on, a lot of causes, a lot of situations, a lot of opinions, a lot of ideas. But Paul's reminding us as believers, we take our stand on the gospel. Why? Because it is the firm place to stand. He says in verse 2, if you hold firmly to the gospel that I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. There is this holding fast, this hold firmly to the word I preach to you. That means in all kinds of situations and in all kinds of trials of life and all of the things we experience, there's one thing that we can hold firmly to, and that is the gospel of Jesus, because this is what saves us. Saves is Paul's standard word for what the gospel does for those who believe Paul reminds the Corinthians that the fundamental message of the gospel is salvation, and that's deliverance from God's condemnation for sin. Our biggest problem is not a pandemic, a virus, the economy. Our biggest problem is sin. And apart from Jesus, we are still in our sins, but Paul reminds us it's because of the gospel, it's because of the work that Jesus did for us, that we now have no condemnation for our sin. And so Paul speaks to the Corinthian salvation in the present to bring out a nuance he's going to get to later in the discussion. But salvation from the perspective of believers is a process that begins in the past when we confess Christ and are baptized into Christ, and it continues into the present. And there is a present place where we stand in the gospel. There is a future hope of the resurrection to live with God for eternity. But Paul wants to bring us back to that place where we have good news in dark times that we stand in the gospel now. That we have the hope of salvation now, today. The doctrine of faith in Jesus' resurrection is central in Paul's gospel. And he says, I don't want you to have believed in vain. Paul reminds the Corinthians 
reminds us as well that we are not to deny the objective reality of Christ's resurrection if we deny the fact that Jesus rose bodily from the dead, we have a faith that is considered different from Paul's. And so there seems to be little hope of getting around Paul's argument that to deny Christ's resurrection is really a denial of the Christian existence altogether. And so like the Corinthians, if we don't believe in the resurrection or trust the resurrection, we have believed in vain since the faith is predicated on whether or not Paul is right on this issue. So Paul gives us then some basics of the gospel. We'll use that term a lot, but the basics are the central four facets of the God's work in Christ. And each of these, he begins with the word that. He says four things that I want you to understand, the four major facets of God's work in Jesus that are part of this gospel message is, number one, that he died for our sins. This is great news. This is the vicarious nature of what Jesus did on the cross for us. He was our substitute. I don't have to die for my sins. Jesus died for me. And so Paul wants to remind the Corinthians, the good news is this, that Christ died for your sins. The second thing he says is that he was buried. He wants us to know that he believes in a risen Lord, that Jesus literally was placed into the tomb, and now he has risen again. And so Paul is saying the fact was he was really dead, and he was buried. And so this risen Jesus that we see is truly Jesus. Third thing, that he was raised on the third day. This is where we're headed as we head toward Easter and as we think about the resurrection on that first resurrection morning. But before we get to the resurrection, there is a death and a burial. There is the dark times, not only for Jesus' disciples as they thought all hope was lost, but Paul reminds us in the gospel that all of these things go together. The dark times precede the hope of the resurrection. In the dark times we find ourselves in now, there's always the hope of future resurrection. Now, Paul just didn't want to leave us with the idea that somehow this was a figment of his imagination. The fourth thing he says is that he appeared. And so Paul says that there are eyewitnesses to the resurrection. He appeared to more, this is Jesus, than of 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep or have died. And so Paul, even in describing death as falling asleep, means one day we will wake up again. And so even death isn't the end. We will rise again with Jesus. And Paul has the audacity to say to the Corinthians that Jesus appeared to some people, and those people are still alive. And really what he's saying is, if you like to go ask them, you can find them and ask them. This wasn't some kind of secretive thing or something that was created or invented by the followers of Jesus. Paul is saying there were actual eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus, and some of them are still alive. So if you have any doubts about me saying this, you can go find them and ask them for yourselves. And so the four great things that Paul lists as part of this gospel, 
are that Christ died, that he was buried, that he was raised, that he appeared, and all those together mean that it really happened. That Jesus really did pay for our sins, that he really was buried, that he really did rise again from the dead. Now, Paul talks about in this passage the effects of grace. He has two dimensions of grace in verse number 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in, was in me. When you are in the grace of God, when you're standing firmly, holding to the grace that is offered through Jesus on the cross, it has an effect on your life. This is the good news for those dark places that even now today, grace has an effect in your life when it looks like the whole world is falling apart and everything is so chaotic. Grace still is working. The first thing that Paul says is this. One of the dimensions of grace is the aspect of the saving grace. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. What, what is he now? He is a new creature. He is a new creation. And so this aspect of saving grace that Paul had already alluded to in verse 2, he says, by the gospel you are saved, that grace is understood as saving grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The good news of grace is this. We have sinned, but God is not holding our sins against us. That's the good news we need to hear. We have sinned, but in Jesus, when we receive his salvation, when we hold firmly to the gospel, when we believe in the gospel of Jesus, obey the gospel of Jesus, our sins are not being held against us. There are two ways to get into heaven. There are two gates, if you will. The first gate is the law gate. The only way to get into heaven through the law gate is to obey God's commands perfectly every day of our lives, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, perfectly obey God's commands because we as creatures are obligated to obey the commands of our creator. There's another gate. It's called the grace gate. We enter through the grace gate, not because of our own righteousness, but because of Christ's righteousness. He paid the law's penalty for us. So that's the essence of grace. We are not under law, under the law system of salvation. We are not in the law line thinking we will enter the law gate into heaven. This is hopeless and futile. The law gate is closed by sin and no one will enter through it. If I choose to live by law, what I'm saying is, 
that my good deeds will somehow outweigh my bad deeds. And when I get to the gate, my sins will be put onto a scale. And as long as my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, I can get through the gate. The only problem is that's not how the law gate works. The law gate works this way. If you have sinned in any fashion, at any time, in any way, it's like you have broken the whole law, the book of James tells us. And so if I'm relying on that gate, I get to the gate and the gate is locked and I can't get in. But here's the good news. If I'm standing in the grace line and I get to the grace gate, I'm allowed in because my sins are not being held against me. You see, human pride, we would like to think that there could be another way besides grace. A way that we somehow seem deserving of salvation. I'm a good person. Look what I've done. But the cross will not allow it. Whenever you begin to think that you might deserve to be saved, just take another look at the cross. That's what we deserve. The Bible says, The wages of sin is death. We deserve death, and so the law gate will not allow anyone to pass through because it is closed. We deserve death, but Jesus took that for us. And so Paul reminds us that through the substitutionary death of Jesus, that Christ died for my sins, the gate of grace is now open to me. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, My richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. So the first dimension of grace that is good news for you is the aspect of saving grace. The second aspect that Paul points out in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10 is equipping and empowering grace. He says in verse 10, the second part, no, I worked harder than all of them. Who is that? The other apostles, those others who were called before him. I worked harder than all of them. He says, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. You see, really, that's Paul's whole discussion on spiritual gifts as he started out in chapter 12. He says, these are given by the grace of God. You don't deserve them. You don't earn them. It's that God in his grace has given them to us. So everything that we have, even our ability to do ministry, whatever equipping and empowering we have comes from God, and it is by grace. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, and read just a couple minutes ago, it said we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so this chapter really comes on the heels of those chapters where Paul was describing and defining spiritual gift and giftedness and he says that the things that he did he did by the grace of god all christian ministries and gifts are manifestations of the gracious will of god paul understands grace not only as saving grace but also as equipping and empowering grace the equipping and empowering grace comes from the former we are created to do good works Outside Christianity, and even for many within it, the general view is that we are saved by works. I just do good things, and I just am a nice person, and it's all the things that I do. 
but there are people, on the other hand, many who are Christians who have gone the other way and have concluded that since we are saved by grace, we don't need to do good works, that we're saved from good works. So one extreme is we're saved by good works, and the other one is we're saved from good works. I don't have to do anything, but the biblical view is different for both of these extremes. As Ephesians 2.10 says, we have been saved for good works. There is a difference between by works and for works, and it makes all the difference in the world for our life and for our hope. Being justified by faith does not do away with works, but it causes us to see them in a totally new way. We see that we have been created to do the things that God has given us to do through his grace. Paul believed God's grace could be received in vain or without effect. But the grace that we have received has an effect. It is not in vain. It is shown through our works and in our lives. 20th century scholar Dietrich Bonhoeffer called receiving grace in vain or without effect. He called that cheap grace. Cheap grace is a grace which bore no fruit. Cheap grace is the grace that wants heaven. We want all the benefits, but we don't want to give ourselves in service to Jesus. And so cheap grace is the antithesis to what Paul is talking about. Cheap grace is vain grace or grace that has no effect. We have seen Christians who have been plagued of a grace without effect. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, his own ministerial strategy is hard work. Grace and hard work go together. We receive this grace of God, and then we pour our lives in service to him. All credit goes to the ever-present and empowering grace of God in our lives. And this means that Paul's life, when we look at who he was, his sacrificial life, his zeal, his accomplishments, were the work of what he will describe in 2 Corinthians as a cracked pot or a vessel of clay, but inside is the glory of Christ. And so Paul understood that he was saved and this grace is empowering and equipping. Why is that good news? That means when I am into the kingdom, when I've been born again, I'm added to the church, I have, through grace, been saved but I'm also empowered and equipped by grace. I'm equipped to serve. I'm equipped to minister. I'm equipped to, to love others. I'm equipped to do all the things that Paul has listed for us so far in 1 Corinthians. Here's the good news of grace. Paul, in the middle of this passage of Scripture we're looking at today, talks about Jesus appearing to James in verse 7 to the, all the other apostles. And as one to him, he describes as one being abnormally born. Paul understood that he came late onto the scene. He was an apostle late in the game. And what he meant was his life was heading in the exact opposite direction for where God would place him. He was kind of like a Jonah. He was running from God's purposes for his life. And what was Paul doing? Why was he born 
an apostle later because during the early days of the church, he was persecuting the church. He was killing people. He was violence against Christ and his church. And what Christ did is he grabbed him and he jerked him through the Christian birth canal to arrive full grown, not only as a believer, but as one who was called to serve Christ as an apostle. And so to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And so in verse nine, listen to these words of Paul. And sometimes we can relate to these as well. He says, for I'm the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul understood his past and what he was doing and how he was destroying the church of Jesus. And then we get to those great words. Verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. That is your good news for today. That is your good news. Paul says he didn't feel like a genuine apostle because he was the most undeserving of that role because of the atrocities that he committed against the church. No other apostle had persecuted the church. Paul went in and he ransacked homes and he dragged them back to Jerusalem in chains for sentencing. And so even as he wrote 1 Corinthians 15, his past was haunting him. And so Paul understood he didn't deserve or earn his apostolic ministry, but he can only accept it on the basis of the grace of God. And so in verse 10, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's the hope that we need in dark times. The darkness of unworthiness. You may have been told your whole life that you will never amount to anything. You're no good. You're stupid. Nobody likes you. Messages that sometimes we can get from our parents, our friends, our teachers. Sometimes those messages even come from ourselves. In a world of Facebook and social media, we're always comparing ourselves to other people. And it has created this phenomenon in our culture and in our world where people feel less than because they think their lives don't live up to the lives of the people that they're seeing, not understanding that the people they're looking at are also feeling the same way, which is often why they're posting pictures, because they want to make themselves feel better. So maybe you have that sense, just like Paul did, that I am undeserving. He said, I don't even deserve to be called an apostle. Perhaps we are haunted by our past. Deeds that seem unforgivable. That's where Paul was. He was dragging Christians out to have them arrested and persecuted. And he was still haunted by his past. He still remembered what he has done or had done. And perhaps you feel the same way as well. You're haunted by your past. You can't believe what you've done. You feel ashamed. And embarrassed, you feel that God can't love you or doesn't love you. You can't love yourself. Paul reminded us in 1 Corinthians 13 
that love keeps no record of wrongs. But sometimes people who are unloving keep records of wrongs and they keep throwing those wrongs back up into our face. And so those things are fresh there every time we have a conflict or every time we see that person and you can't escape from your past. And Paul reminds us that if you feel unworthy or you feel haunted by your past, you need the good news of hope in the dark place of verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's by the grace of God that you are what you are. Not what you were. Paul reminded us back in chapter 6. He said, or don't you know that the wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he lists sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, greedy drunkards. And he says, and this is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. And so way back in chapter 6, Paul was reminding the Corinthians that who they are is not what they were. And he's also now sharing some very personal information in chapter 15. What I was is not what I am. And I didn't fix it myself. I didn't have the ability to erase it all or undo it all or to go back and fix what I had done. He says, but in verse number 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. That's the hope that you need for dark times. That's the hope that we need to hear when we feel unworthy, undeserving. It's by the grace of God, the saving grace that Paul talked about, that Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. I can't make up for it myself. There's a verse in 2 Peter chapter 3.18. It says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Paul reminds us that, yes, we are saved by grace, but it's not a one-time deal. It's a lifestyle. At one point in our life, we received the gift of salvation, and God's grace was applied to our life through Jesus. But since that time, we are still living in grace as we look forward to the resurrection of our bodies. And so grace is a lifestyle. Paul wants to call us back to that place today, back to that place where we are living in grace. There's a comic strip. A man is at work and his boss balls him out. The employee goes home and then he hollers at his wife. And then the wife yells at the little boy. And then the little boy screams at the dog. And then the dog growls at the goldfish. And the last scene in the comic is the goldfish just in the bowl helplessly because he has no one to scream at. We have been bawled out, hollered and yelled at, scolded by others, including ourselves. And if we're honest, doesn't some of our Harshest scolding come from ourselves? Certainly does. And Paul wants to remind us that living by grace means God is not scolding us. 
God is not yelling at us. God is not angry with us because the anger and the wrath has been poured out on to Jesus. Picture these two little, two separate scenes. A little girl's playing with her doll. In scene one, the girl says to her doll, you bad doll, you spilled your milk again. You're no good for anything. Can't you ever do anything right? Take that. And she spanks the doll on its little fake bottom. But in scene two, the girl says to her doll, oh, dolly, you spilled your milk again. You must be more careful there now. Don't cry. Mommy still loves you. Here, let me give you a big kiss. And she picks up the doll and hugs it. What's going on here? Why do the two little girls treat their dolls so differently? It's because they are acting differently toward their dolls, probably because how they were treated or how others had treated them. That's how we grow in grace. When Peter says we grow in grace, it's not how we receive a greater quantity of grace, but growing in grace is something we do. So how do we do that? It means we treat others the way God has treated us, including how we treat ourselves. We have seen how God saved us and blessed us in his grace. He has given us wonderful gifts and the forgiveness of sins and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And we have gratefully received these blessings of grace. Now, what does God expect us to do? Very simply, he expects us to live by the spirit of grace toward other people, to be gracious to them, to develop a lifestyle of grace. That's the effect of grace on our lives and on the lives of others. And so Paul is winding down this letter where he had just previously talked to the Corinthians about how they love one another and how they relate to one another. And he pulls us back to that place of grace. That's the effect of grace on our lives and the lives of others. Saving grace means because we have been forgiven, we are forgiving. Because God doesn't hold our sins against us, we don't hold others' sins against them. Saving grace means that there is no penalty for us. And forgiveness means that we refuse to make someone else pay for their sins. We set them free from the debt that they owe. Equipping and empowering grace that Paul talks about is we we are giving, we are generous. And this is Paul's point in the entire book, how we treat others and use the gifts that we have been given. Imagine that you are $500,000 in debt. Someone comes to you and writes out a check for $500,000 saying, this is all for you to cancel your debt. You don't have to do anything but reach out and take it, and it's yours. So you take the money and pay your debt. Now you are debt-free and totally in the clear. What do you have to boast about? Can you go around bragging that you had the power, the skill, and the brains to reach out and take the check? (laughs) Can you talk about what a favor you did for your benefactor, taking all that troublesome money off his hands? That doesn't make any sense. You received it, nothing more, nothing less. You were impoverished. You received riches from another person. The fact that you are now debt-free is due to your benefactor, not due to you. 
Who then deserves the praise and the glory for your salvation? You have received riches from the resources of God. His grace made it all possible. Do you know what the good news in dark times really is? Do you know what the hope that we're really looking for? Yes, we're looking for that time when we can quit social distancing and get out and have somewhat of a semblance of a normal life again, if that's possible. Yes, we're looking toward the end of a pandemic and end of a virus. But isn't it true deep down in our hearts that we're really looking and searching for something much more than an end to the pandemic? We want to know deep down that we are accepted, that we are loved, that we are valuable. Every human heart is searching for the answers to those questions. And Paul wants to remind us through his own testimony of his own life, of all the things that I did, I don't even deserve to be where I am. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. Paul begins this section on the resurrection of Jesus by reminding us of the grace of God. That Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. He showed himself alive to his followers. And because of the resurrection that comes in the future, I can have hope in these dark times to know that God is not holding my sins against me. No matter what you've done, grace can have an effect. No matter where you've been, no matter what your past is, grace can have an effect. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all my sin. If you're discouraged, if you're down, if you're depressed, if you feel undeserving, if you feel unworthy, I want you to burn 1 Corinthians 15.10 into your memory bank. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. His grace to you is not without effect. If his grace could change someone like Paul, his grace can change someone like me. If God can use someone like Paul, God can use someone like me. If God can do this in Paul's life, Paul's reminding us he can do this in any life. That's our good news. That's this hope in these dark times. That we have the grace and the mercy and the love of God poured out into our lives because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we certainly live in difficult times. We certainly find ourselves stressed out and separated, lonely, maybe depressed, just not knowing what to do. 
Father, we need a place to stand. We need a place to find a solid foundation. And Father, you remind us that we can hold firmly to your word and we can take a stand on the gospel. That no matter what happens in the world, as we take a stand on the gospel, that means that you are not holding our sins against us because of Jesus paying the penalty for our sins. Father, would you remind us and help us grow in grace as Peter admonishes us? That, Father, we would look at our lives and we would, in those moments when we feel unworthy, undeserving, remind us again of the cross and what Jesus did there for us if we are in him. Father, we thank you for the hope that we have. We thank you for the hope of resurrection. But we know that before a resurrection, there is a death and there is a dying. So, Father, we thank you for this good news, the good news of the gospel, even in dark times, because of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.